0: On the
1: hey there,
0: howdy, thanks for tuning in to another edition of the program, and thank you for telling a friend that you hang out on the other side of Texas, I'm your host, Jay west texas leeson taking you home on a tuesday afternoon or wherever you might be listening to this on the internet or otherwise we appreciate you tuning in here why we are here broadcasting from the studios where buddy holly became famous where we just keep on raving on right here And uh, these studios are the Racer Car Wash Studios. Racer Car Wash voted Lubbock's Best Wash for five years running. Stop into one of five convenient locations across Hub City for the best wash around. Guaranteed. RacerWash.com It's so good. I mean, whenever. I mean, think about. Let's just step back. Let's just think about all the great things. And one of my favorite things is that I get to get to come in. And sit behind this mic and speak with some what I perceive to be clarity to people who think with clarity. Great listeners, this program, and in and I'm literally six feet away from where Buddy Holly uh, played his Sunday parties here at these studios, and and it's out of that independent vein, man. here's the thing with lubbock let me just go regional for just a second in lubbock it seems to me that that we have this connotation of it doesn't seem it's very plain we have this connotation of being rugged individualist and i think that that's true there are a lot of people in lubbock with whom if if an armageddon event ever went down if the missiles ever come in from the Kremlin or otherwise there are a lot of people with whom I would want to be gathered and because they're survivalists they're gonna get it done and I think that that's in our DNA but at the same time there is a streak in Lubbock of independence that that I think is pretty legendary and I don't understand lots of times I see people voting and thinking like sheeple and best assessed in in the voting and i hope that uh this program and these studios are a place you can come to and say let's think about things in a different way or maybe throw some nuance out there in an age that doesn't appreciate any sort of nuance because we've all gone to our hyper-partisan extremes uh before i, I have some more to say about that but let me set up the program for you we have today uh, a good tuesday drive home for you mike newton you know him as the cowboy chef mike newton from master chef uh we ran into each other we'll tell the story here in a little bit ran into each other and marfa I've kept up with one another and i think it'd be fun for us to listen to mike newton good texan talk about his experience of national and international fame things that he learned good and bad and then get into a little uh, just to make things interesting we're going to do a little menu game i'm going to give him situations and scenarios in which he's catering or cooking and he is going to tell us what he would it is gonna, he's not been prepped with these questions. He's going to tell us what he would uh, cook. I, I want to even tease a couple of those, but just stay tuned. He'll be up here in about 10 minutes from now. And then news out of Stamford, Texas, that the health care system... Uh, Stanford Healthcare System announced hospital care and ER room services will be discontinued. A new story in Stanford, not a new story in Texas. Don Macbeth, a Texas organization of rural community hospitals, torch, come on with us about uh, 40 minutes from now and talk to us about what is going on in Stanford and why it might ha- happen four more times across the state of texas in the weeks before the end of year is what i've heard uh yesterday i did not if you listen to the to the show yesterday listen to the podcast i did not get a chance to close out with my best of the weekend and my worst i had a i had a real best and a real worst, and we ran out of time and i went yesterday and i promise i got an email yesterday about okay enough mr rogers this is the last i'm going to bring this up but went to go watch one won't you be my neighbor you got thoughts on this or anything that's coming up text them 806-745-5800 that's 806-745-5800 I'd seen this before, but within the context of the documentary itself, Won't You Be My Neighbor, on the cause of Fred Rogers, it wasn't really about his life so much as it was his cause of serving children through public broadcasting. He went before the U.S. Senate Commerce Committee, uh, May 1, 1969 there's a senator who's known as a real bulldog he uh pushes rogers in the beginning but then rogers through his genuineness wins him over and this is towards the end this is in the documentary you can also look it up in up on youtube but want to play for you this clip because you talk about somebody who doubled down on what they believed in an independent streak just to keep the motif here in the beginning segment this is fred rogers doubling down singing a song before the u.s senate and he does it with great reward towards the end
2: could i tell you the words of one of the songs which i feel is very important yes this has to do with that good feeling of control, which I feel that, that children need to know is there. And it starts out, what do you do with the mad that you feel? And that first line came straight from a child. I work with children do, doing puppets in, in very personal communication with small groups. What do you do with the mad that you feel? When you feel so mad, you could bite when the whole wide world seems oh so wrong and nothing you do seems very right. What do you do? Do you punch a bag? Do you pound some clay or some dough? Do you round up friends for a game of tag or see how fast you go? It's great to be able to stop when you've planned a thing that's wrong and be able to do something else instead and think this song. I can stop when I want to, can stop when I wish, can stop, stop, stop anytime. And what a good feeling to feel like this and know that the feeling is really mine. Know that there's something deep inside that helps us become what we can. For a girl can be someday a lady and a boy can be someday a man. I think it's wonderful. I think it's wonderful. <clears throat> Looks like you just earned the $20 million. <laughs> so, uh, that,
0: being my that being my favorite part of uh, the documentary to see Fred Rogers win the money that was up to be cut. And it just shows. Uh, follow your dreams, kids. Rave on. 120 this is my my least favorite part of the weekend 112 year old austin resident is robbed of savings and identity someone and this is uh dallas morning news someone is impersonating the oldest man in america family members of richard overton the 112 year old world war ii veteran lives in austin learned that his bank account had been drained on friday someone set up a bogus account got his social security number and accessed his personal checking account said volma overton who is overton's third cousin like I, listen this is not the least in gospel hour but if there's any indication that all fear of god has gone in this country first of all look at our social media habits and secondly and i'm saying these in order uh, secondly check out people who are not afraid to steal the identity of the most venerated man in america to a lot of people volma said he and a friend would sort out this money issue he filed a police report on friday who does that like somebody who's not afraid of any sort of consequence in the temporal world or in eternity that's who and it would just live in such a crazy place right now and you don't need me to tell you this i mean you, you talk about this at your uh, at your thanksgiving tables and otherwise and i just really grinds my gears that not just that somebody would do that to somebody like mr overton but that there's just no recourse and it seems to me that we live in a society without recourse it's uh, it remind me one day and i'll probably take this up on friday this is what i'll do on friday no show on wednesday or thursday go america but i want to talk about post-truth america and how people are capitalizing off of post-truth america and whenever the truths that have been uh, adored over time are all of a sudden all of a sudden disregarded the institutions begin to be undercut then you're in a lot of trouble and nobody's made more money off of this in my mind than facebook itself to put out uh, all sorts of clickbait to make people even more hysterical and that's just the state of things right now and just to close off where i started I appreciate the opportunity to have nuance to talk with an independent streak and I appreciate you listening to this program and hearing all well some nuance, probably more nuance than you hear anywhere else. Now the cowboy chef himself, he is Mike Newton. How are you, buddy? I'm good. How are y'all out there uh, in the plane? We're uh we're doing it. Where are you calling from? I'm calling from the metropolis of Lipan, Texas. Okay. Lie ten, like it, like it. So let's jump in, Mike Newton, and we're gonna tell a little bit of your story as we go along here. But Master Chef season eight on Fox. This is this runs the summer of 2017 through early fall you gain quite a national audience and i you know there are all sorts of news stories in texas that were following your progress throughout that program but the first thing i want to ask you is could you take gordon ramsey No,
1: that's a big old boy i don't know if people realize he's a, he's over six two uh he's a big old fella i you know if anything you knock him down do, uh, mess up his hair be the best thing you could do for that fella
0: it's one he of was, uh, it's one of those math questions of how much of my rear do I want kicked, right?
1: You know, you have to judge. You know, it's a pain. You know, pain and pleasure. You know, the pleasure you're knocking down, the pain of getting beat by him. But you know, he's pretty big. He was at, actually uh, one day he bent over, put his hands on knees, in front of me, and from me, big, broad, a guy. He works out pretty heavily. In that I tell you, I always like when people say, "If he talked to me like that, I'd put a whooping on him." Well, let me tell you. I don't think you could do it. And if you couldn't do it, his bodyguard sure could, because he's a big old fella.
0: <laughs> he's got the guards involved. That's great. Yeah. So my, He's a good man, though. Tell me this, and we'll get back into the show here in just a bit, but how did you begin cooking the culinary you know, never, arts, as it were? Well,
1: you know, I'm, I'm an old guy, and uh, I, I started on my own at a very young age. How 16. old are you? I'm 55 years old. Okay. And uh, at 16 years old, I started out on my own. Um, my family, I grew up in the Metroplex of Dallas-Fort Worth. Uh, my family lived in Irving, but we had a farm in South Irving. Uh, I know people don't understand that, but there was. And I moved out there, and at that point, I pretty much started cooking at that point. You know, we just didn't have what everybody does now. We didn't have the Internet. You know, you started out by three ways. You had PBS with, you know, the Gallup and Gourmet, Julia Child, mm-hmm. Justin Wilson, or then you went and got a library card, or you worked in a restaurant. And so I started cooking. There were a lot of trials and errors. But, you know, I had to cook for myself. Didn't have a lot. I had to start making it on my own. And then in my uh, early late teens, early 20s, I moved to Paris, Texas. I was running a ranch up there, and a uh, single guy. So I made $900 a month. So I had to start cooking there, and you had to cook on your own. So at Christmas time, my first year up there, my father sent me three cookbooks. Still got them to stay. One was the Texas Hill Country Cookbook, and that was uh, Texas, the Beautiful Cookbook, I think is what it was, and then Julia Child. And uh, wow. I, dog-eared the, I dog-eared the corners out of those, and, you know, and there's a lot of, again, a lot of trials and errors. But, you know, I've always kind of I found cooking to be kind of my mental time, you know. You can watch a little television, but I like cooking. Uh, if you saw my body, you could see I didn't get to eat, get this way eating salad. So. <laughs> I've enjoyed cooking, and so I really got into it. as I grew older, um, I was a bachelor until I was 37 years old, so I always cooked, and I always found out that uh, I didn't have a lot of money going along. So it was a lot cheaper for us to cook for a date, you know, Uh, go out and cook for a date, rent a movie from Blockbuster, and save myself the money of going out on a date. And if if that didn't work out, I could be out with my my buddies at the bar having a couple long necks later, you know, if it didn't work out. So... I've always been into cooking. I've always enjoyed it. It's always been a passion of mine. To be quite
0: honest, yeah. That's really interesting. Speaking with Mike Newton here on the program, Cowboy Chef. Um, it is at Cowboy Chef Mike on Twitter. Correct. It's Cowboy Chef Newt. N e w t. Sorry. Yeah. Cowboy yeah. Chef Newt.
1: Okay. So Everybody calls me Newton. I've always been called Newton my whole life.
0: Yeah. We're gonna get into some Newt whenever we play the menu game coming up. Perfect. just a little a little preview but i did a little bit in my intro yesterday touched on it today on the um i don't want to get off into this bar ditch for too long but you mentioned julia childs and pbs and what kind of access it gave people to whenever you know you didn't have a lot of access and i went and watched the uh fred rogers movie the other night and just was so impressed by that that documentary and i think it's fitting that you bring up julia childs here it's not necessarily the most texan thing ever julia childs but i think she's fed a lot of texans indirectly a lot of good thanksgivings and breakfasts and dinners otherwise
1: you know it's a lot of truth to my uh mother was a i just quite frankly she's a yankee and my dad was a southern boy that met at the air force base carswell And so my mom was a different cook, and quite frankly, I I love my mom to death. She's still with us at 89 years old, and um, Hmm. she couldn't cook too well. (laughs) She just wasn't a good cook. I mean, she had her moments, but don't get me wrong. My dad did a lot of cooking. My two older brothers did a lot of cooking. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, we spent a lot of time at either our farm or my dad always drugs us out to the ranches and uh, deer hunting and all that. We did a lot of cooking there. And so, you know, I've always said that cooking to me, some of the greatest times, and I think not just in my life, and you know, I think everybody's life has always been sitting around the dinner table, you know, Thanksgiving's when I was a kid, um, at our family farm, you know, my grandmother, and my aunts, and, you know, all cooking in the kitchen, and then having that big meal at the big table, and, you know, I, and my dad made a great point one time saying that, you know, he didn't know how poor he was growing up during the Depression, but he always had food on the table, and he remembered those meals, and so I always kind of find, you know, justice and happiness, my wife says my love language is uh food, whatever that means. But uh <laughs> I like cooking and then I like uh, I like preparing food for people. It's you know it's, it's one thing I can give back besides my time is cooking and I enjoy it very much.
0: Yeah. I've heard you before in interviews, Mike Newton say that that you feel like you've been given a second chance. And I wanna pair that, no pun intending, with no pun intended with somebody who's a <laughs> master of the culinary arts. But uh you've talked about second chances in in conjunction with master Chef uh, how did you get on that show and what were you know you write a biography one day or write a journal one day that your great 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 grandchildren come across What were your takeaways your learning experiences from being on that show?
1: Well, you know first of all, I had a stroke prior to uh, trying out for that show and um uh, I was a little petulant at the time, and so the day that I was supposed to go try out, I tried out for a, a show a year before called Two Fighters on NBC, and the casting director remembered me, Kelly Mack, and she said, come out and do this. Well, after my stroke, you know, people don't understand, you almost revert back, in, you know, to, in some cases, to where you're a little petulant and childlike, and I just said I wasn't going. And my wife, um, at five, four, comes outside to me the day I was supposed to try out. I was cutting wood out of here at the ranch. It was a rainy, dreary day, and I was splitting wood. I was in a cowboy hat, a hoodie, a pair of jeans, and boots. And uh, she goes, if you're going to go, you need to go. But if you don't go, I never want to hear about regret. So if you're going to go, and I said, well, I don't have anything to cook. She goes, you got plenty of food in the refrigerator. Go fix something. Hmm. And so I went in, and I uh, made some uh, – I had some pork chops, thick-cut pork chops, brining. so I sent I them down and breaded them and uh, chicken fried them and took them in with some jalapeno cream gravy, some green chili chicken enchiladas in I went into that show. Wait, and I, what again?
0: I, Wait, we're driving home now. What was it again? Okay,
1: okay we had chicken fried pork chop. Yeah. With, with jalapeno cream gravy. Mm. Green chili chicken enchiladas. And a little chipotle guacamole. Golly. And,
0: yeah, Yeah. And you, so I... You I, are uh, my temptress, I, Mike Newton.
1: <laughs> Go ahead. Well... Uh, you know, and it, you know, and I, that's just what I do. I cook food that people like. You know, you just, you got to cook from your heart. You know, you, like I always say, you know, uh, without getting off base, the menu is just guidance. It's not exact. And so I take mine and I change mine up, and that's what we did. And
3: no. I
1: drug that into that show into Dallas in a hot bag, and uh, I was the first guy. They cut me through the line, and the chef walks in and see, saw me dressed with, he still had sawdust on me, cause, well, I'm, and mud on me and wet. Boots and stuff. He goes, Well, I'm glad you dressed up. And I go, Well, if this doesn't work out, I got to go back to work anyway. So I didn't feel like changing. He goes, Well, you got a little personality. What'd you make? And so I told him about the, the pork chops and the jalapeno cream gravy. And he tried and he goes, Well, son of a, you know, whatever. And uh, that's the best thing we had. We went dinner last night in Dallas. If they would have had this. I would have ordered it. Hmm. And so he called the other chef uh, over that, you know, there's 50 people in a room. And so he called the other one over and he had the same retort. And, uh, you know, and after that, uh, they kind of moved me on to the next interview process, which are before the producers, and they asked me a question, they go, well, if you don't get on this show, uh, what do you think? He says, well, let me tell you, this show's not going to define my life. I beat a stroke. God gave me a second chance, and I'm going to run with it, and if if we do get on the show, we'll eat some pretty good food, we'll giggle a lot, and we'll drink a little brown liquor. So I guess uh, they liked, it and I found out later, those were the producers of the show, <laughs> So uh, a little cocky, I guess, a little arrogant. But, you know, uh, I did that, and then you move on. And it's a, it's a, it's kind of a laborious effort to get on these television shows. They just don't pick one person go, hey, you're going. You know, background checks, which I passed. Psychological deaths, I passed that one, too. I don't know how. <laughs> and then uh, you did a big 500-question test they did, and then uh-huh. you do a film test. And first time I think I passed more tests in my life than I ever should have, but I did. And, you know, then uh, I didn't hear from them for about two months. And about the middle of July, they called me up and said, you're going to Hollywood. And so I, I packed up two, uh, packed up a bag in two weeks, uh, settled some things up, and, you know, uh, to give kudos where kudos are due, uh, my wife uh, took over everything. She took over the ranch, she took over our residence in Fort Worth, our rental property, she took over, we're, we're in real estate, I do farm and ranch real estate, and she took over that, and she took over everything, and did this for over three months, and so, um uh, it was just an incredible experience. And talk about what you take back from this. You go back, you're sequestered, um, they take your phones away, they give you about 10 minutes to talk to your family, and uh, you know, you just find out what you really appreciate. I mean, the first couple of days without a phone, I was, I was going bonkers and you find out how trivial that really that phone was and that you have uh, grown, we went from 80 people to 40, 40 to 20, and that you, you created a new family. It was kind of funny the first day uh that we got down to 20 that we're going to go on television after we had that elimination round i got on the bus and i looked at everybody and i said listen we're ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen i'm 53 years old and uh, we're going to respect one another we're going to be one big family we're going to um uh, uh appreciate each and every one of us while we're here and we're going to have a lot of good time if you don't let's step off the bus and thank god reba didn't ask me off the bus i think she could have taken me but uh she didn't and uh we just became a weird family. It's become, we're all still very close. Uh, matter of fact, while I'm talking to you now, a couple of them are uh, texting in to me. Uh, so, you know, you become a family, you really find out that life is a lot simpler and uh, than, it sh- than as complicated as we make it nowadays.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, you know, I, I had the pleasure of going in front of cameras. I've never done that before in my life. I don't, you know, and, you know, doing that and living in a tight environment and uh, meeting some great people. I, you know, for someone that's a, a cook like me, they call me a chef, but I'm really just a home cook. I think that um, being in front of three of the probably the greatest, uh, of some of the best chefs in the world, one of the greatest chefs in the world, you don't get a bunch of Michelin stars because you stink at it. And uh, mm-hmm. Ron Sanchez and Christine Tosi and uh, Gordon Ramsay, you know, you, you get to cook for them, and there's a little pressure there. <laughs> but at the same time, though, it's an experience that I will carry with me to my grave.
0: Wow. Mike Newton, Cowboy Chef, joining us here on your Tuesday drive. And we like to have good conversations on Tuesdays and Thursdays, kind of long form. So I'm thinking about uh, my own figure in jalapeno gravy and, and some breaded chicken fried pork chops and brown liquor. Not really a keto guy, huh?
1: No, I'm a Whole30 guy. Okay, all right. <laughs> I, but you know what? I cook for that, and I tell you, it's kind of hard not to. I've uh, I've lost thirty pounds since March. I got another fifteen to go. But you still can cook on this stuff. You know, people just don't understand that you still can. You know, cook. I made substitutions, I made adjustments. But you know, when my friends come over, I don't give them the whole thirty.
0: I give them the when, so, whoa, 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 when is the Mike Newton Whole Thirty for Texans book coming out? Because I will buy that right now. Take my money, Mike Newton.
1: <laughs> well you keep that in mind, there's, there's going to be one that's, uh, I was going to call it the keto cowboy but I think we're going to call it, you know the healthy cowboy food, and you can do it You know, No, just call it
0: keto cowboy that's so much cooler Okay, we're going to call it the keto cowboy cookbook, and okay. uh, we got to be careful how we, uh, the uh, proper
1: constants, and we may get in trouble, but
0: yeah, we'll, uh,
1: <laughs> but we are going to do that, and I'm going to do one about Texan food and we'll see if they sell and, yeah. you know, I'm sure they're going to do well, and We're going to plug them, and I'll send you my first copy. All right. I'll give you the first copy,
0: first edition, Jay. You're going to get it. flattered. Flattered here. On the other side of Texas, with Mike Newton moving on, um, I think that we all have these moments in life where things do not go the way that we think that they'll go. MasterChef Season 8, I believe it's referred to as Jargate, yeah, you're you're, you're you're preparing a meal, and as I understand, you're on Cher's balcony in Las Vegas, 2 a.m., which is approximately 7 p.m. everywhere else in the world except for Vegas, and you cannot get a caviar jar open. Is this related to the stroke that you mentioned, to? You know, I, I hate to admit it,
1: but a lot of it was uh related to that um i just don't have a lot at that time I, i've gained some strength but i didn't have a lot of strength on the left side of my body um my face uh uh is still somewhat paralyzed on the left side it, it's very numb my fingers face, on the left side are very numb yeah
0: okay all right
1: we hide it well um uh, we hide it very well uh with my beard which actually we're, there's no beard right now but you know I, I did but at the same time you know uh I've had so many people tell me how to open that jar. I tried to pry it off with a knife and all that and got down to the end of it and, and just didn't get it off in time. But I put a whooping on that jar, and it put a whooping on me. But, you know, I I, uh, I got sent home by a jar of fish eggs. <laughs> and uh, I ten call ten it Jargate yeah, jar 2017. But, <laughs> you, you know, uh, like if you're going to get kicked off that show, there's no place better than to get kicked off in Vegas on Cher's patio in Caesar's Palace at two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Send me home. Well you no, know, I didn't get kicked off on the beach. But it,
0: you had to complete the dish and you couldn't get it open. Uh, extenuating <coughs> circumstances and and that's how that went down. So tell me tell me what's going down now, Mike Newton.
1: Well, you know, I'm doing a lot of private dinners. Uh we don't we're not we don't have our sat on a restaurant per
0: station. Time out, time out, time out. I want to talk about all the enterprise that's coming from this, how you're capitalizing on it. But you and I met... Here's, this, here's the back story. We're in Marfa. We're on a father-daughter camp out. And you and I are... What What hotel was that? We met... Uh, at the, the, uh, the, the, the El Pazano. Yeah, The El Pasano. And we had gone in and asked, uh, can we let the girl swim? Because the swimming hole up the road was closed all of a sudden and so we wanted to let the girls swim. At that time the other fathers were coming in. I believe this was a Friday when we met and uh and and we asked how can how can we swim? and they said well or do you have a room and we said well we could and the guy looked at us and i don't want to get anybody at the el pasano in trouble he said listen the last time somebody wanted to come in and swim with a group all it all it took was a bottle of jim beam and something else i can't mention on air and so we went and rounded up the necessary goods and the girls went and swam and then we're walking through the parking lot and there's cowboy chef truck we're like, where is he? Where is he? And he walks in, and Mike Newton walks in. And I look at everybody, I'm like, I look at all my buddies, I'm like, this is him, this is him. And you started to make a line. But I'm bringing that up because uh, you were going to an event that you weren't cooking at, which is, yeah, I, my- I think, like a director being invited to a movie he didn't do.
1: Right. It is my cousin's uh, wedding, uh, my second cousin's wedding. And uh it's the first time that I've been with really a big part of my family, uh, since my stroke and in quite a while. And so we all met in Marfa, Texas, you know. Uh they got married and uh, I got to see my cousin Ashley in Brooklyn from Brooklyn, New oh, Well, he lives in Brooklyn, he's from Texas and he was in town and so we uh I love I just love that Alpine Mar area Matter of fact I may be there again next week. Uh my wife we're gonna take a little trip around Texas. I think we'll go back to Marfa. But yeah, we walk in and met you guys and you know it's always a pleasure for me it's kind of weird um you know people recognize me uh as someone says i'm narcissistic it's okay i, I am what i am but I, I i it's really kind of odd and you and i kind of hit it off right off the bat you know and the guys you're with what pleasure you know and it speaks a lot father and daughters camp out no. and uh that, that speaks volumes right there and just to come in meet people and i've, I've met so many incredible people after this and Ran to y'all, Marfa, and we struck up a conversation. Uh, I think we may even have had adult beverage at that time. I'm not sure, yeah, but um, I
0: think it had something to do with Tito's and Topo Chico and a lime. But go ahead.
1: I, it, it, I think it did. And then uh, we had a good conversation, and you know, and uh, I went to that wedding and came back. And I will tell you, if I, if I had the money and opened up a restaurant in Marfa, I think I could crush it. To be honest, uh, all right. Uh, well, I like so, it, but I don't think I convinced my wife to move there. That's the only thing too far from the grandbaby.
0: <laughs> okay, that's fair enough for grandparents. Mike Newton, Cowboy Chef, continuing on with us here. Uh, so you got a book that's coming out. What else you got going on?
1: Well, uh, we're also uh, we're looking at. Uh, well, we're doing a lot of private charity work right now. We've uh, my goal was to raise uh, at the beginning was a hundred thousand dollars for local charities. We've surpassed that. Uh, we've taken our mark to a half a million. We're just a little over $350,000 for charities local, for many different charities, just not the area of food banks. We've done it for the food uh, banks. We've done it for child diabetes. We've done it for the Optimist Group. We can go on. Irving Cares, which helps take care of those. And uh, It's kind of, um, you know, when you get a second chance in life, you look at it, and I think that um, God's purpose for me wasn't per se to increase uh, to improve my culinary career as much as it was to help give back. To, to reach out and help that extended hand, hmm. to help those that need that help. Where you know, I have a cooking talent, so we do. We, so we um, sell private dinners, or we auction off private dinners. I should say at these okay. uh, um, at these charities, and we uh, and we, uh, we. Some lots of times we're able to double down. We brought in some really good money, and it's a great way to meet people too. Like I said, I'm 55. I don't know if I I want to keep. You know. You know, the youngins on that show have plenty of room to go, you know, go to culinary school or even go to start restaurants and working on, and those years are kind of behind me. So let me give back where I can. And we're, our goal is to get to a half a million this year, and we're really shooting hard for it. You know, my wife has been just a, a star. She's been perfect. I mean, you know, they say behind every good man's a good woman, and I've got a great one, you know, and mm. she helps put these things together. And, you know, there's, it's a lot of work, but we love going out. We meet a lot of people. And so, that's going on I'm I'm going to be doing a cooking class coming up with Jason that was one of the three finalists he's from Boston ironically Newton Massachusetts uh, and Gabriel the youngest on the show which was a great experience when I left the show I told him that if he wanted to go to cooking school I will pay for it but uh, Gordon Ramsey stepped up and took that bullet for me and um, uh, Ron Sanchez is off him jobs so we're doing a cooking class here in Fort Worth at the end of July you can go to our website Cowboy Chef Newt if you'd like to participate we're doing three different classes, uh, two days on a Friday and a Saturday. Um, as well as, you know, putting out the cookbook, uh, I've got some products I'm putting out. Um, you know, we're, I, I've got some relishes and stuff. I'm still under contract with Fox, but that's going to come to end pretty soon. And we're going to put out some of my food products that I have as well as we have on our website, we have some, our swag, our snappy t-shirts with what we call Newtonism on the back of them and hats and stuff. So we've got into the full trinket business and, as well as, you know, uh, going out and educating the kids in these local high schools, I've really reached out to these 4-H groups, the high school culinary programs, and um, I always try to, in the food bank, uh Terranary Food Bank has a class that they help a lot of kids learn how to cook and teach, and I have actually one young man, um, John Aguilar, that works with me on a lot of my uh, dinners. I've got some others in the uh, Granberry, uh, Rio Vista, as well as Cleburne schools, and I like to go out and work with these kids to see that, you know, you'll never go hungry and you'll never go thirsty in the restaurant business. Yeah, and you take home a little cash. And let me say, I was in the restaurant business in front of the house for a little while, and you know what? I never went hungry. I never went thirsty. And I took my uh, pay. I took my cash home with me at the end of the night, and I didn't have a lot of reports, and I didn't have to worry about a lot of things. So it's, it's a pretty good living. And it's a fun way to meet people. So,
0: well, yeah. Mike Newton, carrying on with us here, Mike. Uh, Want to go into some? Uh, Want to go into some menu game? And we tried and I don't often look at my people with raised eyebrows and ask how they didn't do this but we wanted to have a little bit of intro music weren't able to get that together I hope you won't be offended but menu game let's close this off sure. with this this okay. is all improv we're all banking on you okay. Cowboy chef okay let's let a rip. best meals for the following scenarios Got about three minutes left in the segment. You are ordered, you are asked to help your country. Jeffrey Dahmer on death row, his last meal. He doesn't care. What are you preparing for Jeffrey Dahmer? I'd I'd,
1: I'd serve him a vegan. Give him a vegan. I mean, you got they're hard to find over one hundred twenty, hundred thirty pounds. Once you, and then once you dress them out, there's not a left there. But feed that boy a
0: vegan, man. That's what you need. He want to go off the right way. I mean, okay. I'm a and, pizza so what's yet. that compile of? I mean, what's that composed of?
1: I like give them a bunch of root vegetables, and no pun intended, but give him a bunch of root vegetables and give him some leafy greens and give him a vegan, you know, and okay. uh, sushi style. Right. You no.
0: Know, sushi stuff. Like it. You're. Let's pretend. And. You know, I don't want to suggest anything, but let's say you have an ex-girlfriend who you really didn't like. She passes away tragically. You're asked to do the funeral. You can't turn it down. You're preparing what? Well, I, you know. Uh, and she was not. What? She was not a good person, Mike, as you know. Well, well I believe in forgiveness and second chances,
1: and her family didn't do it to me, and so you know the way I would do that. I'd probably serve them the best thing. So when she parted out of this country, she knew that I took care of her family better than she took care of me. I'd serve a big old steak sandwich, have a big old glass of wine, and we'd have a going-away party for her three days after she was buried.
0: Okay. That's that's very kind of you. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going camping. I'm going camping with you. You can only take two ingredients. What are you taking?
1: Man, I won't take... Steak and potatoes. Steak and potatoes. I mean, there's nothing better. We're not there to... We're going to burn calories up high so We're going to do something. But, you know, this is a, a guy. We're going to take three-inch quarter-house steak, and we're going to take potatoes. Or we can scratch potatoes, just take butter, and we'll
0: eat steaks only. I mean, who cares about potatoes? Okay. let's That's do steak right. and butter. So and we're, we're going to... But how, how are we going to carry these? Like, we're backpacking. Uh, how are we going to carry it?
1: Well... I don't know how you backtrack, but I'm going to, you're going to carry the utensils and the cooking stuff, and I'm going to carry the meat and products, and we're going to put it in the back. We're going to put in one of those Yeti or whatever they are bags, and we're okay. going to carry it up the hill. All right. And that's
0: how we're going to do it.
1: We're taking those two products, and that's all we need,
0: and a campfire. All right. Uh, you are called, and let's say that this is way back in history. Uh, you're given a telegram signed by Augustus McCray. That says uh, that he is just rolled in from Mexico with three dozen head of cattle. Woodrow Call, Josh Dietz, the whole gang, they're going to have a rangers reunion there at Lonesome Dove.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: they want you to cook. What are you cooking? Well, first of all, let's don't forget about Newt on the show. we okay. got to remember Newt. Yeah, we got to throw Newt and back. And I'm yet.
1: saying, well, yeah. we're going we're to have, well, you know, I, I, we're going to have steak. We're we'll going to have some Mexican strawberries. We're going to do enchiladas, Rob. You know, and I know that, you know, people say, well, they didn't have enchiladas. They had tacos, fresh tortillas. We're going to do it with, uh, you know, just a great ensemble of food like that. And we're going to do peach cobbler with it, too. You know, and if we can if we can find a little yard bird for those uh, that don't eat a lot of uh, beef, that's okay. But we're going to have great steak, beef whatever you want, maybe even a pot roast to go with it, beans, potatoes the whole fix and you can't forget a big old cat head biscuit you know and then uh, we'll start the dinner off with a little bit of brown liquor and finish it off with a little brown liquor and
0: have a good time and stay up all night reading the bible on the porch mike newton barbecues all summer long what is something that we're cooking or smoking we're cooking and smoking the same old things what is something that we ought to look at go down to the butcher and buy what instead of the same I
1: I tell you what I'm going to do tomorrow at my neighbor's house, Austin Mars. Uh, We're going to go over there. I'm going to take a pork loin. I'm going to lattice wrap that bacon. I'm going to wrap that pork loin, tie it off, and then I'm going to slow smoke that. And then we're going to finish it off later with a chipotle raspberry sauce Mm. or and or a sweet tangy barbecue sauce I'm making. Not my honey chipotle barbecue sauce. It's a sweet tangy Barbecue sauce I think you should Look at pork loin They are lean But they smoke up Nicely uh, They don't break down So you can slice Them really nice
3: mm-hmm. uh,
1: You know It makes a great Flavorful thing I just did a barbecue uh, Last weekend. we did The, the ensemble But I've been uh, I like doing my Chickens too In those beer cans Without the beer can And then spraying Them down with a uh, Apple uh, Apple cider mix And then the third Thing I like doing Is those uh, Stuffed jalapenos and my neighbor, I spoke about earlier, taught me one thing. You know, I'm still learning, you know, from people. I learn every day. But blanching those uh, peppers for a few moments and stuffing them with cream cheese and mixed cheddar and then chopped pork or chopped barbecue and wrapping them in bacon. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then put them on the grill and let them cook, you know, because then the uh, the bacon, and when I do my bacon, I uh, something I learned was pretty great at that. I fry my bacon in a little bit of oil first, get about three quarters done, then wrap your your uh, hmm. jalapeno poppers Put them on the grill Put them on the smoker And then towards the end of it I douse them Or I, I, I brush on a little bit Of honey chipotle barbecue sauce And we enjoy those That's a great starter Before after midnight snack uh, And they always are well received They're you know great finger food As the French say The mousse bouche But um, I, it, that's things I think You should look at When you're doing your barbecue Change it up Throw anything well, out there
0: My kids call it Texas sushi Mike, Mike Newton the last one here President Trump calls you, says, uh, listen, we're going to have Vladdy down, Vladimir Putin for a state dinner, wants you to cook. What are you serving?
1: Man, I go back to my tribe through a big old bone-in, uh, bone-in cowboy ribeye. I want that thing about two inches thick, and we're going to not do it the traditional style on a grill. We're going to put it in a French, we're going to put a big old cast iron skillet, and we're going to sear it on each side for about two to three minutes as well, about a minute on the sides of the steak. And then we're going to dump in a big old half-stick uh, half of butter for each steak with uh, a <laughs> couple of cloves of garlic and rosemary, and we're going to slow-baste it for about two minutes on each side. We're going to pull them off. Oh,
0: man. We're going to set them on the side while we're doing I wait to listen that. to this audio. Go ahead.
1: Uh, I, I like it. And then we're going to serve him some, uh, some of our own soup. We'll do a cream of jalapeno soup to start off with, we'll do a Southwest Caesar salad for your second course, Uh and then we're going to do a steak, and then we're going to serve him some uh, bread pudding with a a, uh, bourbon uh, cream sauce to go with that bread pudding, and we're going to finish up with a good old cup of hot Texas, I mean, a good old cup of coffee with a shot of TX on the side, and if you don't like that, go on back and eat your bad borscht and your bland uh, Russian food.
0: (laughs) CowboyChefNewt.com dot com at CowboyChefNewt on Twitter. Hope whenever things progress you'll come back on and check in with us here, Mike Newton. I'd
1: love to. You check in with me anytime also. You come down to Fort Worth, you stop in Lifetime and we'll put you up for a night. We'll we'll feed you. We can cook a little bit around here and we'll give you some great uh, sights. Uh, let you hang out at the ranch and you know give you a quick tour of the area around here and would love to have you, Jay, or anyone else and if I'm up in the Lubbock area, I'd love to stop by and see you, take yeah. you out for a little appetizer, and come
0: on by. And uh, we look forward tell to tell Miss Newton that we're glad that we stopped. She stopped you from being petulant and made you go get on television. Mike Newton, best, ladies and gentlemen, buddy. appreciate you, buddy. Appreciate the time. Thank you so much, and keep an eye at CowboyChefNewton.com. We will, we will. Mike Newton, ladies and gentlemen, Don Macbeth, the former Lubbock County judge, who now. Helps uh, with Texas Organization of Rural and Community Hospitals. Torch. You can find them torchnet uh, there on Twitter. Uh, he wants to talk to us. I'll read you the story first, and it is uh, Stanford Healthcare System announced that the hospital care ER room services discontinued this from the abilene reporter news stanford health care system announced plans to discontinue all these things and uh, released a statement on monday citing a decline in patient numbers and an inability to meet medicare requirements the closures will cost 54 jobs in the community the system in june announced the closing of its regional services department a change that resulted in the layoff of 29 employees rick defore the chief's uh, the hospital's chief executive officer said in a statement while it is an end of an era for inpatient services at stanford memorial hospital it is our plan to continue to offer the maximum sustainable level of healthcare services possible as we make this transition. I've spoken with people in Stanford. They're staggered by this to help us make sense of this. And I teased it earlier in the program, uh, Don McBeth with Torch joining us now. Uh, I still want to call you Judge Macbeth. I think I still will.
3: Well, uh, the title follows me sometimes, and I have some other names, but we can't use those you on know, the radio.
0: FCC being what it is, I signed that in part of the contract on this program, but Stanford's not alone here. It, uh, I've heard you know, maybe half a dozen hosp- rural hospitals be lost before just the end of this year.
3: Well, it, there's a, it's a pretty tough time for rural hospitals uh, in Texas and, and across the country, and if we've talked about this before we've had now with Stanford that makes uh, 19 Texas rural hospitals that have closed in the last five and a half years and uh, there's you know every closure is different uh, the financial dynamics uh, just as the demographics are different from community to community and uh, but but kind of the overarching problem is is we've had a number of cutbacks and payments in medicare to rural hospitals and the state medicaid program is underpaying the rural hospitals and then when you blend into that uh the fact that our populations in many of our real rural communities are getting poorer or getting older and are declining mm-hmm. uh, and, I, and i think specific and i i i i, I don't want to speak for stanford uh but but having some awareness of their dynamics and communicating back and forth with the with the c e o this week they are, uh you know part of Stanford's problem is they're they're seeing declining population but declining patients at the hospital you know they're just close enough to Abilene, a lot of people going into abilene and uh and then and then you've got two other two other hospitals in that county that's Jones county. Uh, there's rural hospitals in, in Hamlin and in Anson and then in Stamford. Uh and then up the road at Haskell, probably not twenty miles, is also a hospital. So hmm. it's an area where where there's a lot of hospitals in that area and that region and then and then you couple in these other factors, uh, uh they just reached a point where they just can no longer meet payroll.
0: So tell us a little bit here, Don Macbeth, about and DeFord, the CEO you mentioned earlier in Stamford, the healthcare system, cited it's entirely accurate to say I'm quoting him that Medicaid regulations have made it harder and harder to admit patient admit a patient to the hospital for inpatient stay. It's important for listeners to understand when we talk about the politics and the policy surrounding rural hospitals. Medicare is national medicaid is state but what you have just laid out is that rural hospitals are getting shorted on medicaid
3: and medicare
0: how is that
3: well I think in in many of our rural hospitals uh, that is the case Uh, the through through some various cutbacks in medicare payments and again always understanding medicare uh, is the federal government insurance for for the elderly Uh, over the last about five years some congressionally mandated cutbacks have resulted in about 50 million less dollars in Medicare pouring into Texas rural hospitals alone and and then side by side with that is a growing underpayment in the state Medicaid program basically every time a Medicaid patient goes into a hospital the hospital loses money on that patient and, and other patients in the hospital or our local property taxpayers are having to make up that difference and that's not right either uh, but that totals about 60 million statewide and so uh, we have a hunt with with the closure of Stanford we have 161 rural hospitals in Texas and if they're being shorted a little over a 100 million, 110 million dollars a year by Medicare and Medicaid mm-hmm. you just do the math mm-hmm. and and they don't have the financial wherewithal uh, to, to make make that up and i know there's some that will advocate I, i've had people say to me you know if the hospital can't make it the hospital can't make it uh, and, and that's fine to say that unless you live in that community and if you live in that community then then your view is going to be a little bit different the other thing that we forget about is is with that rural hospital comes an emergency room and we need uh, emergency rooms all across this state because whether you live in that community or somewhere else you may be traveling through uh, but there's, there's kind of an old rule of thumb this isn't, isn't just uh, hospital magic but uh, that really you don't want to live more than about 30 minutes from an emergency room mm-hmm. that makes a lot of difference as to where the people survive and so you know just think of those people in stanford not a lot of folks but now they need an emergency room how far are they going to have to travel, you know, down to Abilene, up to Haskell. Uh, It's a big deal if you live in that town.
0: So, but as I listen to this, I'm trying to get through not what's being told to me in the narrative or otherwise, which I usually buck the narrative, but proximity to other hospitals. Well, it seems to me that the cuts in Medicare and Medicaid is number one and number two is the proximity to other options that Medicaid and Medicare cutbacks are not hitting as hard. Is that is that right? Does that make sense to you? Am I on? Well, you
3: know, those are some of the factors. And again, Jay, every hospital has different dynamics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's there's the there's the payments, payment reductions in Medicaid and Medicare, which for most rural hospitals. Medicaid and Medicare combined make up about 60-65% of their business. Hmm. So that's a big deal if you're not getting paid all you should be paid. Uh, there's certainly, if you're close to, to other hospitals, that, that is is a factor. But again, as I mentioned earlier, the fact that declining population. We're seeing that in so many areas, especially west of I-35. And so you just reach a point where... Uh, you just don't have enough people in that town anymore to put enough patients in that hospital uh, to keep the doors open. And, again, that's fine if, if you want to just look at it purely as a from a business perspective. I mean, health care hospitals have changed over the years. You know, a lot of care we used to provide that was inpatient is now outpatient. You know, I remember when I was a kid, I had my tonsils taken out. That was two days in the hospital. Now it's an afternoon and you go home. So uh, those things have changed All of that coming together to to take away or or result in declining revenue to these hospitals so they have to close. And again, I think the public policy issue uh, that that we, we talk about with the Texas legislature and we talk about with Congress is, well, if these hospitals are closing up so there's more miles between them, that's more miles between emergency rooms. Mm-hmm. And so and then it becomes an issue of, well, is it good public policy to make sure these dots are on the map? Because we have very transient uh, population. You know, we did a study a couple of years ago about, uh, at the hospital in Van Horn, Texas. And, you know, Van Horn is way out there in West Texas. It's right where I-10 and I-20 come together. What we found is that that over a third of the people that went into the emergency room in Van Horn Didn't even live near there. In fact, like fifteen percent of them lived in other states.
0: Yeah. Well,
3: can you imagine what would happen if that hospital was not there?
0: But and it's people in the county, the county taxpayers are absorbing that. And that did to bring it back to Lubbock and you and i've talked about this but i think it's important to recite for or to at least repeat to listeners that you've got umc and you've got covenant in lubbock umc being the county hospital and covenant going out and trying to put up clinics in rural communities to offset losses that they're absorbing because people are driving into lubbock six days into the flu or pneumonia and they're cost model is just not built for that so you know i'm back to pete laney saying you know there are no cattle guard gates around the the county whatever county it might be
3: uh, that's that's exactly right and that is an issue that i think when you talk if you talk to the folks at university medical center you talk to to the people uh at, at covenant you talk to the people at hendrick or abilene regional and Abilene, they're going to tell you we don't want some of these people from from the, the rural communities, and the reason they don't want them is one, they don't really have room for them uh, because they're full every day, physically so, so, or
0: fiduciarily.
3: Yeah, and and then and then the other issue is, um, and 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 this this you know gets a little bit complicated, and I'm oversimplifying, but but just the type of services that a covenant. And a UMC needs to provide. They need to provide more profitable type care to keep their doors open because it's a much more expensive operation. Mm-hmm. And and when you're dealing with with older people that may have pneumonia, they really don't want their bed space tied up with those types of patients who can just as well be taken care of in a level in or, or a brownfield or whatever. So yeah, I mean, in terms of the overall healthcare
0: system, I'm not just trying to toe the line, but it could have been prevented earlier with access to care
3: Yeah, no question about it and again just the 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 dynamics of the type of care you provide based on on the demographics of of the community you know the issue in stanford uh... probably i mean we've known for a long time that that hospital has been struggling uh... that's just changing of the time you know in the nineteen sixties texas had over three hundred rural hospitals over three hundred rural hospitals we're now down to 161. Hmm. Where did those go? Well, obviously, as the cost has gone up to operate a hospital, much of that cost is driven by state and federal regulations. Those hospitals no longer have the revenue to to keep the doors open. So, so that's those those lines have crossed, and, and we've seen a lot of closures, um, and, and they come in waves. You know, as I said earlier, the latest round is one that really only Congress and legislature can fix by by fixing these Medicare and Medicaid payments. But in the case of Stanford, I'm not sure that would have made that much difference. It gets very, very complicated. There's a lot on rural hospitals, the way Medicare pays these rural hospitals depends on the type of classification and designation that the hospital may qualify under the Medicare system. Stanford did not qualify for some of those. So the hospital in Stanford, just to give you an example, the hospital in Stanford, for the most part, was being paid less by Medicare than the hospital in Snyder, and, and for the same services. So there's some inequities there too, and and it and it poses a challenge.
0: Hmm. The former Lubbock County Judge <laughs> Judge Don Macbeth, I'm never going to get away from it uh, with. texas organization rural and community hospitals torch and torch.net there on twitter for you to follow along i want to ask you this question it wasn't torch.net it was torch.net on twitter i see some northeast and i believe it was massachusetts that expanded medicaid medicare expansion Uh, they expanded those with work requirements and there's been a long conversation about expanding Medicaid in Texas, but how do you do it? What kind of strings does it come with? Does it make sense to you that that comes with work requirements?
3: Well, I, you know, those are decisions that are going to be made by the state legislatures and are going to be made by Congress. Uh, I think the problem, the, the 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 overall concept of the work requirements is 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 not not a bad concept okay I think the problem that where it gets a little murky is you got to look at Texas every Medicaid program is different in every state Medicaid is it's not standardized like Medicare Medicaid is a joint agreement between the state and the federal government each state kind of customizes their own plan you have to look at who we cover in Texas In Texas, Medicaid, for the most part, covers poor pregnant women, poor children, and poor disabled. That's all it covers. Mm -hmm. Uh, Women that are not pregnant, it doesn't cover. It doesn't cover men at all. I don't care how poor they are. And so, so if you want to talk about imposing work requirements, I don't know that anybody in on Medicaid in Texas uh would be necessarily affected by that. So hmm. um but but I I think there's no question that if people are going to to get and I'm kind of this is my old county judge local county commissioner's court had here, you know, if people are going to get various benefits from from the government, uh some reasonable requirements associated with that, you know, are are fine. Uh the key that they be reasonable.
0: Yeah. Don Macbeth. More to come as the legislature heats up coming into January. Appreciate you making time.
3: Glad glad to to chat with you today. All right.
0: Well, have a good Fourth. So I'm going to get into my uh, post truth, post modern. Lots of people ask where I'm responding from, and I see that culture is. Uh, degrading maybe one word or uh meeting maximum entropy might be another phrase i understand all those issues but i'm not ready to take the hook line and sinker narrative from left or right I saw this 15 years ago and uh began to think about it and write on it and uh want to get into that with you on friday and i say friday because tomorrow is your independence day america and i hope that you enjoy it i'm going to enjoy it with my kiddos as well and take some time there on thursday we will be back with you on friday right here Uh, until then you can check us out other side of texas.com as well as other side ostx show on twitter and you can also go to our facebook page other side of texas i've been trying to put some stuff out and facebook's really been coming down on me really getting down on me man and uh, i don't really appreciate it but um hopefully they'll let us back in the game it's not that we're in jail it's that they came down on the russian bots and as part anything that i post turns into political advertising or political posting and so they got to check out your identity and take it through this big long process they went after the big guy and got the little man in the process one other thing i'd like for you to pass along you enjoy the program we have advertisers we're bringing some on uh next in the next couple weeks and we're looking for marketing people we're hiring if you have people who have some marketing experience uh, shoot them my way jay at other side of texas.com that's jay at other side of texas.com just have them send me a note maybe a short resume we'll have a conversation and see if they can get some of uh some more great sponsors here on the program i don't have time i, I got a real job and I really enjoy doing this kind of as a public service and some vacation money. And uh, I really, really enjoy that my time with you and correspondence with you. Uh, marketing folks, uh, shoot me an email. We're going to go home. I got to get home. Got an above average dinner and a great family waiting for me. We'll see you here in a couple of days after we celebrate America. Boom, boom, bang, bang. Be careful. And uh, if you aren't careful, at least take a YouTube video of it. We'll see you next time right here on the other side of Texas.
2: Johnny can't drink Johnny ain't 21. Yeah, but he's 18 and he's pretty handy with a gun.